So our two verses tonight um, can be found on pages 9 and 10, right in the middle of your zines. Um, So if you want to read along, um, we'll be starting with John 14. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day you will realise that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who, lo- who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. And from Ephesians 4. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to one hope when you are called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, God. So, my text today is three verses from Ephesians 4, uh, beginning at verse 7. Here it goes. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Each one. This is why it says, here's a quote from uh, Psalm 68, uh, which is on page 11. You'll see Psalm 68 on page 11. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. 
And then there's these brackets in verse 9 and 10. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the universe. I'm going to explore that text. Shall we pray? Father, we pray that you would quicken our hearts by your Holy Spirit whom you've given us. They might live and act to your praise and glory. Show us, Father, what gifts you've given us, Christ has given us. Help us to be afraid to identify them and have boldness to receive them and power to exercise them in and out of the church for the sake of the body of Christ in the world. Father, may your will be done on earth as it currently is in heaven. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So life's an adventure. I'm sure you'll agree. You could equally say that life's a battle. But since there's a God who has a will to discover, to live by, life's adventure can't be or ought not to be any old choose-your-own-adventure. It can't just be follow your dreams. It's got to be follow someone else's dreams, namely God's will. But it's an adventure nonetheless. Today we're going to talk about the greatest adventure ever, the story of God's winning back this world that he lost to sin and to stubbornness and to injustice, to evil. This world that sin grabbed, but that God loved anyway. A world that God was never going to lose. He made it and he wants it back and he'll fight for it. This evening, it's about our place in that adventure, and namely the use of our gifts, because that's what verses 7 to 10 is all about. Gifts from the Spirit of Christ, or Christ, the King, through His Spirit, whom this evening, on Pentecost Sunday, we not only remember, but we worship. That's what the Creed says, by the way. Together with the Father and the Son, He is worshipped and glorified. I don't think I got that when I was younger. I believe it now. But I want to argue today that when someone exercises their gifts, understanding that they're part of a greater battle, the kingdom of God, the king doing his business in the world, a higher purpose, then it changes the way you think about your gifts. So I think most of us, you know, we're detached from God or a greater purpose, I think we think of our gifts as either self-expression, I want to be creative, I want to use my gifts for creative purposes, or you find some particular cause that's important to you and you contribute to it. it. might be to do with work or maybe it's an act of volunteerism or some other thing. But if we see our gifts, use of our gifts as service to a king who's promoting his kingdom in a broken and fallen world, a king who, how shall I put it, formed a beachhead in, in his life and his kingdom grows... Uh, when you see it in light of that uh, adventure, that battle, then it takes on a whole new meaning. So this evening, what's the next step in the ascension story? He died, he rose again, died for my sin, rose again, gives me, gives me hope, can never be taken away, ascends to the Father, Jesus Christ is now king, ruling, no despot, dictator, no bully, 
It's what we did last week and now is now the one to fear or stand in awe of or do the bidding of. We do the bidding of a good king, Jesus Christ. What's the next step? What does he do next? And the answer is he gathers a group of his believers in an upper room and he pours out his spirit in a way that's visible to everybody. And they begin to speak about the wonders of God, each understanding in their own tongue. Then you read the rest of the New Testament, and there's the Spirit of God quickening people in new faith, um, challenging people of their sin, pointing them to the Messiahship, the kingship of Jesus Christ, enabling them to, with power to do the thing, that they were emboldening, emboldening them with his Spirit, growing gifts in the Spirit and gifting them for the task of building the body of Christ. But as I said, my text today is verses 8 verse 8 in particular this is why he ascended on high firstly took many captives of which I am a willing captive I'm a happy captive to this king you see and he gave note the verb there it's important we'll come back to it he gave gifts to his people that's what today's about Ephesians 4, context, God gives apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers, verse 11, to equip or prepare God's people for works of service, works of ministry, which means that the action lies with you. You are God's people. What he does in your life matters. Um, in Ephesians, you're the one doing works of service to each other. It's not the... You know, it's not like we're here to release you to do it. Um, you're the one who are, who are being prepared or equipped to do the work, but you're the ones doing it. We need an active laity. Inertia will kill us. The kingdom of God only grows as each individual believer is engaged with him and, and uh, goes out into the world that God is taking back for himself, the king uh, promoting his kingdom. But what happens? Verse, verse 11 and uh, 12 and 13 the body of Christ is built up, and then we reach maturity, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, gaining everything that he uh, promised. So today is about the work of the Spirit. Uh, and in verse 7 he says, To each one grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So straight away, well, the context here is this grand vision, one body, one spirit, just as you were called, one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. You've got this grand vision. Then he says, but to you, to you, to each one, grace or gifts, or gift, a gift has been given as Christ apportioned it, as he assigned it, as he decided. So Paul speaking about you here and me and the person sitting next to you. I'm hoping at the end of this sermon, three things will happen. Number one, you'll be content with the way God's made you, um, with who you are and what gifts he's given. This passage, I think, is an antidote to envy. And yet also at the same time, you'll agitate to use those gifts wisely and even to pray, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, for, for uh, a greater gifting so you can serve Christ's body. Not waiting to be asked, but rather praying to God and serving one another in love. And thirdly, I hope that you'll have a perspective, the use of those gifts according to the larger purpose of Christ, filling the universe, what it says, so that your gifts will be used in and out of the church, 
not bound by the gathering, nor is it apart from the gathering, uh, but also uh, something that wells up within you that you feel like you're able, um, able to do. And to that end, we want to pray with you. And if, you th- if this sort of prompts you and you go, yeah, but I don't, know, I don't feel confident or I don't know what my gifts are or I don't know how to use them, um, you know, first step is prayer. And I'm, I'm going to join the people up the back praying today. There's going to be a few that are going to pray. But I'm going to go up the back in the final two songs as well. And you can pray with anybody who joins us up the end, uh, uh, in particular the question of your gifts and how they can be used So, three questions and some conclusions. Firstly, who gave the gifts? Verse 7. How did we receive them? Verses 8 and 9. That's the surprise there. And lastly, why did he give them here in Ephesians 4 verse 10? Who gave the gifts? How did we receive them? And why did he give them? Verse 7. Who gave the gifts? And the answer is Christ did. Each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. He said to his disciples, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. And he comes to us now and gives us his gifts. He also convicts us of our sin. He leads us to the glorious grace of Christ. He pours out his love into our hearts. He gives us a hope that can never be taken away, a peace that surpasses all understanding. And he gives gifts. As Christ apportioned it, he gave gifts to you as he sees fit. Now there's an argument to say that the gifts he gives in verse 7, are the prophets, apostles, evangelists, and pastors and teachers in verse 7. That's one reading. The reading goes like this. To each one, he gives grace, verse 7, and he gave. Same word. He gave you those who sow the word of God into your lives. And there was a lovely Facebook interaction where a 90-year-old said to me the other day, he said, so many of God's people know so little about the Bible, but he said, he became a Christian in his 60s, right here in this church, with the Book of Common Prayer. Get your mind around that. I love that. And uh, he wrote, over the last 25 years here at St. Philip's, not me, but after the last 25 years, I've been taught by people, so I've got a real sense of what the Bible actually says. There's a sense in which those people who have taught that man the Bible have been a gift to him. There's no doubt that that's the case. Or is Paul talking about the grace that Christ apportioned? Is he talking about the various things that God gives to each one of us? Are these the spiritual gifts that he speaks about in 1 Corinthians 12, or the gifts that he gives, um, in, in any case, the gift of helping others or, or encouraging others. Have you got that gift? A couple of people said to me this morning, I have the gift of cynicism. I said to them, you know, reach down, because you might have the gift of encouraging. Do you have the gifts of healing and of therapy? And there are people in this congregation with those gifts. Do you have the gift of speaking and evangelizing? The gift of praying and of faith. There's a woman at 10.15, I'm absolutely sure has the gift of faith. She approaches every situation. She prays about it. Do you have the gift of music? If you do, Andy wants to see you. Gift of music, gift of administration, the gift of languages, tongues, uh, a prophecy. Or generosity. Now we could talk about all those from 1 Corinthians 12. Certainly this text links verse 7 and 11. Those people who speak the word of God into our lives are important. And I've been thankful for so many of those people who speak the word of God into my life. One of the reasons why I wanted to become a minister was I wanted to help people. 
And um, that's, I had a strong sense, even before I understood the grace of God, that if there was a God, there could be nothing more important than pressing into him. Then I understood grace. That was fun. <laughs> I know several people, by the way, who became Christians after they became ministers. Isn't that great? <laughs> understood the grace of God for the first time after they'd trained. I know one guy who became a Christian after becoming a priest. Isn't that great? But I take it that verse 7 does not exclude the gifts that he gives to each one because it's clear that each one must be prepared for works of service in verse 12. And later in verse 16 he says each part must do its, its work in the body of Christ. That in 1 Corinthians 12 makes clear that God gives gifts, Christ gives gifts, so that the whole body grows and that no one part can claim that another part doesn't matter, that's arrogance, and no one part can say that they don't matter, which is despair. Neither of those things can happen in the body of Christ. But the point of verse 7 is Christ apportioned the gifts. He's the giver. And that means that in a Christian worldviews, gifts aren't just parents and DNA, something you're born with, although that'll play into it to some degree. They aren't just something you develop yourself, you know, teaching, mentors, hard work, discipline, although that'll be certainly true in many ways. But even though those things are true, sometimes we pray for things and he gives us things that we didn't even expect to happen. But either way, you thank Jesus. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. So if you have a gift or you see it in another, better still, you say to them, Jesus is good. He's good. He, he knows what he's doing with you. He's worthy to be praised. Firstly, Christ gave the gifts by his spirit. They're spiritual gifts from Christ. Second, how do we receive them? And here in Ephesians 4, verses 8 and 9, he has this remarkable insight into Psalm 68. He says, we received these gifts after a battle was won and a king ascended. Look at verse 8. This is why it says, right, the Christ, the king, when he ascended on high... He took many captives, I'm a willing captive, and he gave, that's important, that verb, gifts to his people. Then verse 9 basically says he had to come down first to, to, to do this. He, what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He had to come down first and live and suffer and die. But it's a battle that Christ wins over death and injustice and sin and stubbornness. And so when he ascends on high, he takes many captives and he gave gifts to his people. So we received these gifts after a, a battle. He went down, died, and then rose and went up again. And this is what happens in battles. D-Day. Give an example. D-Day is when good people said the evil has gone on too long and we need to win a war. They won it with tanks and guns, of course, and strategy. By the way, Google Roosevelt's prayer as the men landed and try to imagine yourself a modern politician addressing a nation in a prayer. Worth doing, but not now. But you can sign up to City Care Lunch now, but not look at Roosevelt's prayer. D-Day, they said, we need to win. The evil's gone on too long. We need to take back Europe. And in order to do that, we need to make a beachhead and then take ground, make our way into Berlin. We need to do that 
a decisive victory here, but then a further spread of the, of the freedom, if I can put it this way, as, as towns and cities were liberated, so that Europe can be free and the world liberated from a tyranny. That's D-Day. Psalm 68 is what Paul is quoting in verse 8. And it's a psalm about the victory of God over the forces of evil. It's about God taking back his world from the rebellious. You can see that in verse 18. If I can put it this way, it always has been God's world. He created it, but it's a world that's been lost through lies and hatred and, um, and, and sin and stubbornness. You know, th- these things took, took over the world, a little bit like the Nazis taking over Europe. But here in Psalm 68, God's going to take it back. He has a victory, but not with guns and tanks, but with, well, we find out, with truth and grace. Um, Jesus Christ, his life being the beachhead of God in the world. I'm taking it back. The kingdom of God is at hand, you see. And he lives a life we should have lived. He died the death we should have, we should have died. He rose again to give me hope, ascended on high, but had more to do in the world. He didn't want to take back Europe from the Nazis, but the world from sin. That's what's going on here. And in Psalm 68, God, after getting in the trenches, stands tall as a victor. He ascends, ascension, Mount Zion, to take his place, rightful place as king. And then in Psalm 68, verse 18, he, he took many captives, right, you ascended on high, took many captives, and note the verb. Did you note the verb? Oh, you noticed the verb, didn't you? Look at verse 18 of Psalm 68 on page 11. You've got to look. Page 11, small writing. When you, God, ascended on high, you took many captives and received gifts from people even from the rebellious, that you, Lord God, might dwell there. He receives gifts. Now turn the page to page 10, halfway through the page. This is why Psalm 68 says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives, and what's the verb? He gave gifts. Psalm 68, received gifts. Ephesians 4, gave gifts. What's going on here? You see what Paul does here? He turns it on its head. He turned this victory in Psalm 68 and put grace back into it. When Christ ascended on high, he took many captives, a happy one, and he gave gift to his people, not received it. Receiving, by the way, is an ancient Near Eastern king climbs the throne, sits down, and everybody starts bringing gifts of homage. You won, you won, you conquered me, you conquered me, you conquered me. I've seen this in Papua New Guinea, by the way. There's a beautiful friend of mine who's become the Bishop of Port Moresby, and there's a sort of culture that's steeped in ancient sort of ways of thinking. And I sat there, this, the uh, ordination, the consecration of the bishop, and it was magnificent. But then afterwards, there's a big tent outside, and he sat on this large chair with his wife next to him, and all the villagers brought gifts and laid them out at his feet. I was very uncomfortable about the process. I didn't want to be culturally insensitive, but I, you know, I was looking at going, yes, I don't like what's going on here. But I got a sense when I saw all these gifts handed to him, which he handed on to everybody else, but I got a sense of the sort of ideas in Psalm 68 that when a king becomes king, ascends the throne, and everybody comes and says, you conquered me, you conquered me, you conquered me, and they receive gifts from people. But here in Ephesians 4, he gives gifts. 
Now, there's plenty of ways to resolve this. Some commentators say the earlier translations say he gave, not true. Some try to resolve it by saying, well, this king was seized in order to redistribute. I don't think that's what's being said here. I think what's happening is that Paul, and I love this possibility, he's using a text that the readers knew and he's turning it on its head. This king, this Jesus, this one who descended and ascended, he gives, he doesn't take. He loves, he doesn't hate. He comes to serve, not to be served. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. That's what makes this king different. Now that really makes sense of verse 9. What does he ascended mean, but that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? In other words, God had to come. He came into this world, descended from on high, entered our broken world to take it back. The life of Jesus is God's D-Day as the king promotes his kingdom in all the earth. You've got here in the life of Jesus the inevitable sacrifice that comes with war. He died the death we deserve. He died on that bloody Roman cross for my sins, but he rose again and he ascended. C.S. Lewis has got that famous quote, he came down from the heights of absolute being, he came down to come up again and bring the whole ruined world with him. So you see what Paul did there. He turned the notion of victory on its head and said, this king gives gifts to you for a purpose. We'll come to that in a moment. But he also links gift-giving to Jesus, the giver. So he links gifts to the gospel. He came, he lived, he died, he rose again, and he ascended on high. And if we're going to grow into maturity, it'll be with Jesus, the conquering and gift-giving king, with the gospel at its heart. That's how he gave the gifts, by his victorious death, resurrection, ascension. And then after that, he said, now go, be, promote the kingdom, take it back. He's using you. So thirdly, why did he give them? Verse 10, in order, to fill the whole, in order that Christ might fill the He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. This is the plan and purposes of God in, crea- in the creation and in the promises of God made in the Old and New Testament that in the end the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of his glory. That's why it's the vision of this church to see The earth filled with the knowledge of his glory as the waters cover the sea. In the end, the Christian gospel isn't just a set of words to agree with. It's not a um, set of values to assent to or nod to. It's not even about just um, me, sort of God giving me the comfort to follow my dreams. It's about finding my place in this grander story of a beautiful rescue of God taking back the planet he loves. It's a story that's written out of love. It's about salvation from our sin. And it's about me jumping in line with this ascended king and working with him to promote his kingdom on earth. It's about me aligning myself to the plans and purposes of Jesus Christ, the king of the kingdom. Paul says, you can be a part of it. So, let me conclude. (laughs) What about those gifts that God gives each one of us? You have them. By the way, people say this to me regularly across the five congregations of the Paris of Churchill. People say to me quite regularly, you have some of the most gifted people in Australia in your church. The gifts he's given you, the passion, the conviction, the resilience after suffering. 
the resources, um, the education in this room alone is breathtaking. Um, the experiences you've had in work um, that you can share with others, uh, the love, it's clear, the creativity is through the roof. You name it, it's right here in this room. It's in the five congregations of St. Philip's and Garrison Church. We really do need to find these gifts and place them in the purposes of the higher vision of the king, the ascended king, promoting his kingdom in the earth. It's better than self-expression. It's better than finding gifts to know what my meaning is. Certainly not about empire building or the making of mere money. You and I, happy captives of a good king, we have this opportunity to be countercultural in our world. We have this opportunity to promote the, the gift giver, not just the gifts themselves. I think if you divorce the gift from the gift giver, you're left only with self-expression. And if I can put it this way, God for, forbid us from just mere self-expression. But you could also, if you divorce the gift giver from the gift, then you say, well, I've got these gifts and I'm going to use them to build my cause. And you might think that's a worthy cause. You might think that's the right one. But if I read my Bible correctly, this is not choose your own adventure. This is we want God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are part of people who promote not just the king, but the kingdom on earth. Please don't find your significance primarily in your gifts. I often wonder, you know, I talk for a living. Um, whether I'm good at that, it's up to, you, up to others. Um, but I often give myself a little litmus test to find out how I would see myself if a potential source of relevance was taken away from me. Namely, if my tongue was taken from me, who would I be? Who would you be without the thing that makes you do the thing you do? This, of course, is what many older people face as they uh, lose both capacity and sometimes relevance, in part because they get taken away from places, contexts, where people say, you're so good, you're so good, you're so good at what you do. Who am I without these gifts? Well, Christ has given them, by the way. Do not denigrate them. They're part of who you are. But I want to say you are significant with or without the gift. You're significant because you are made in the image of God in creation. But more than that, you are a redeemed creature. You are the recipient of the love of a conquering king. Sit down. Do nothing. You're still loved. When I know that I've been conquered by love, that my gifts are to be used in the service of the one who will fill heaven and earth, I'll have a new perspective. If I can get that right, if I can frame that right, wow. Not on the treadmill of uncertainty. Am I doing a good job? Am I significant enough? Is someone else better than me? I can just simply ask, what can I do for the cause of the king? I think this will lead to contentment. It's an antidote to envy. When I see somebody who is profoundly gifted in a way that I'm not, I'm like, well, I want to be. Wow. The gift giver is good to, to give you the thing that you do. And then I end up rejoicing with them rather than comparing myself to them. If I understand the gifts of the king and the kingdom properly, then I am a vessel, um, a captive, a happy slave, 
uh, to do uh, the bidding of my good uh, Messiah, my Christ, as are my brothers and sisters. Jesus gives them, I don't, and I praise Jesus when I see the incredibly gifted. But it also, you also use the gifts that you have wisely, praying for even greater ones, says the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 14. I think a lot of us uh, end up thinking that gifts only are released by others, and then we say they're released by a roster. And that's because somehow we believe that gifts are organised from the centre, and if somebody else doesn't identify them and release them in me, then I've got nothing to serve. Meaning, somehow deep down, we, need, we believe we need permission to exercise the gifts we have. Now, we have rosters, by the way, and let me tell you, if you want to put up your hand for a roster, we'll put you on one. We'll put you on a roster. But what's being said here is so much bigger than a roster. Roster is important, by the way, in the same way that a meal has people assigned to it. You know, city care lunch that comes next week, somebody will be sitting on tables, somebody will do the barbecue, somebody will... Um, bring salad and dessert because maybe they don't have time to come or they don't want to come but they do want to contribute in that particular way and you'll roster and you'll go onto the tiny URL tiny CC and, and, and you'll, you'll put yourself in there perhaps or put yourself on a roster of this church there's no doubt that those things are good but like a meal at home the purpose of having somebody set up or set the table or clean up afterwards or bring the salad or bring a dessert the purpose is for the meal itself the joy of this moment and how it arms you to go and live in the world as a family that sits at a table, extended family perhaps. And I take it the church is in many ways the same way. We'll put on rosters because things need to happen. But this is the reason so that you're armed to go out into the world. The bulk of gifts that you have are to be used all day and every day in and out of the church where you ask yourselves, how can I be of service to another, not waiting to be asked, but rather serving one another in love. Please pray with us about it. And there'll be some people up the back if you'd like to pray about your gifts. But lastly, as I've said, we'll have our gifts in perspective. The larger purpose of Christ filling the universe. Jesus is the gift giver. The gifts are to be not bound by the gathering, but not exercised apart from the gathering. So sit next to people and love them. Ask how you can speak into their lives or sow into them. But exercise your gifts at work and at home or in the neighbourhood where you're asking yourself the question, how does Christ fill this space? And specifically, if you see a lost person, can you share with them the hope that you have in Christ? If you see sin and arrogance, can you challenge it? If you see oppression and injustice, can you advocate for those who are oppressed? If you see loneliness and suffering, can you be present with them so that you can use your gifts to be part of the prayer, may your kingdom come, Jesus Christ, and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, the men who uh, stormed Normandy um, and moved in to take Europe did a remarkable thing and we'll remember them this week. Um, but we ask you, Father, to use us for an even higher purpose than the one they did that day. We want to be part of taking over this world for your goodness and grace, your mercy, your righteousness, your peace that surpasses all understanding, a joy that cannot be taken away. We want to share with this world the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Use our gifts. Make us willing slaves, willing servants for Christ's sake. Amen.